sounded like Ned Flanders. I know. Hi, welcome to Prefer Not To, a weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Kate Matthews and Josh Lucas. As is becoming frequently the case, and in fact, I am convinced will likely always be the case, I am not Kate. And I'm not Josh. Every week, Kate and I mix up a cocktail, talk about the history and stories about that cocktail, watch a movie or two, talk about them, talk about any other bits of cultural ephemera that have floated through the transom for that week, send you on your way all in about an hour. Hey, Kate, how are things? Uh, Things are good. I'm getting a cat tomorrow. Yeah. Have we decided what the cat's name is? Um, In honor of the podcast, I am leaning ever closer towards Clovis, who devout listeners of the show may remember as the cat from Shadow... Walkers, sleepwalkers, sleepwalkers, Steve, Stephen King, sleepwalkers, sleepwalkers as the uh, heroic police cat. You can't Clovis. remember the name of the movie, but you remember the name of the cat. The cat was fucking awesome. So, what are we drinking and or watching this week? <laughs> We're having Boilermakers this week, and we watched the Concord colon airport. Okay, help me out here. It's an ellipsis. <laughs> oh, Concord dot 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 dot, dot airport seventy nine. Yes. Okay, sorry. I thought it, there was a Also colon. seen in some uh, jurisdictions as Airport 1980. Yeah. Depending on when it was released. Yeah. So, we're having Boilermakers. Mm-hmm. I have not ever had a Boilermaker, so tell me what goes into a Boilermaker. A uh, Boilermaker is a beer cocktail, which I did not even know existed, and it is uh, 12 ounces of beer and a shot of whiskey. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like the depth charge mm-hmm. of beers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, before we go into the history of the Boilermaker... As always, I have our standard disclaimers. Disclaimer number one, neither Kate nor I is an expert on cocktails or movies. We'll probably do something untoward to your favorite drink and say something horribly illiterate about your favorite movie. If we do, hey, send us a line. We love to be corrected. We are humble like that. Mm -hmm. Second standard disclaimer, alcoholism is a serious condition, not unlike having a perforated eardrum or having the bends. If either one of those happened to you, you'd know it real fast, but you'd also go see a doctor. And the same is true for if you have a problem with drinking. In fact, you don't have to have a drink to enjoy our show, and I don't think it will help. If you had the bends, wouldn't you be underwater and, like, not near a doctor? Not necessarily. Well, first of all, you know, you get the bends when you come back up. Well, yeah. So do you know why I picked those diseases? I can guess for the eardrum thing. Why? Our very special movie that we watched. Well, both of them. A very special scene in our very special movie. There are uh, the passengers aboard, and we'll talk about this later, but the passengers aboard the Concorde, option colon, ellipsis, Airport 79, would very likely have suffered. Slash 80. Would very likely have suffered, if not both of these, at least (laughs) one. Uh, Because, you know, the pressure, they they depressurized the aircraft up at... uh, up at whatever it was. 6,000 feet. I think it was higher than that. I don't know. Uh, the first time, because I'm pretty sure it happened more than once. And, you know, that's that's what causes the bends. For those of you who don't know the bends, so commonly known as decompression sickness, is what happens when gases that you have metabolized into your bloodstream at one pressure are then quickly changed to a lower pre- pressure, mm-hmm. uh, causing them to condense together and uh, and make bubbles in your blood, which can be really bad because they can make embolisms in your brain. They can cause severe joint pain if they get into your joints. It's it's a potentially deadly thing. Mm -hmm. And it's most often seen, like Kate said, with people who go diving and come up too quickly, which is why they sort of have a, when you come out of a very deep dive, it's a slow 
recovery that you sort of elevate up. But it's also seen in people who have experienced uh, sudden depressurizations in pressurized cabins of aircraft. Spoilers. So that uh, is, and, and for a long period, the standard treatment is, do you know what standard treatment for it is? No, I don't. They put you in a hyperbaric chamber. That's what they're for. And you turn into a supervillain. No. Hyperbaric, all hyperbaric chamber is is it changes the atmospheric pressure. And then you turn into a supervillain. <laughs> right. You turn into Bendo, <laughs> who can make bubbles out of things. I just feel like every time a character goes into a chamber in a movie, like whether it's James Bond or supervillain mm-hmm. or like superhero, something bad happens. There aren't a lot of innocent chambers. Yeah. Star chamber. Yeah. Chamber pot. What's that one in Whitaker cham- cham- a chamber pot? You Whitaker don't go chambers. inside a chamber pot. I go inside a chamber pot. <laughs> if you go outside the chamber pot, it's the pro- that's when the problem is. You know what I meant, you clever bastard. But uh, so that's what the, that's what, it's not for being Michael Jackson and sleeping with the elephant man. It is actually a therapeutic device for people who have decompression sickness. Oh, okay. Fun fact also that I discovered while researching decompression sickness is that there is a there's a disease called Taravana. Taravana? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a yoga position. It does, doesn't it? Sun, sunward facing Taravana. <laughs> so what Splay, is it? Splayed Taravana. Ew. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, you can only do that one once. <laughs> um, it is a disease that Polynesian divers, like traditional Polynesian island divers have, and it causes, it's known for some sort of dementia. The word, in fact, according to Wikipedia, means crazy because of the sea. <laughs> That's wonderful. And apparently, I mean, sad. Oh no, but... it is. It, it, I'm sorry. It is, it is described as people who are crazy because of the sea. It is uh, tuamotu Polynesian for to fall crazily. And what uh, what experts now believe it is a sort of prolonged decompression sickness that these oh. people who go down diving for pearls end up uh, coming up with the crazies. So is that what happened to the main character in John Steinbeck's The Pearl? Is that why he went crazy? Uh, metaphorically, maybe. He wasn't obsessed by greed. No, it oh, was okay. the Benz. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I don't like Steinbeck. I did, it that. was, that's the only thing I've ever read by him, and it was terrible. Really? Yeah. I marginally liked East of Eden, and uh, I marginally liked Travels with Charlie. Couldn't stand Grapes of Wrath. Anywho. So, yeah. hey, tell me the story of the Boilermaker. Okay, so the Boilermaker, like I said earlier, is uh, one 12-ounce of beer and one ounce of whiskey. It's also known as a shot in a beer, a one-in-one, or a boilermaker and helper. Because, as you might might have surmised, there's a couple of different ways to drink it, and most of them involve either A, taking a shot of whiskey before you drink your beer, or B, putting the whiskey directly in the beer, or C, plopping the whiskey shot down into your beer and drinking it all in one gulp. Now, I know you're going to tell me this, but I can't help but thinking that this is a drink that was just accidentally created when somebody was cleaning up the bar. <laughs> no, actually. Um, so no one really knows where it came from, but one, there's a couple of different theories, as there most always are. The reason it being called the Boilermaker is because it was a general industrial class beverage that was cheap for workers to prepare mm-hmm. when they were coming home, specifically Boilermakers and other people who worked in the steel industry. Mm-hmm. So you come home from a long 12-hour shift, you have a shot of whiskey and a beer, and then you go about your night. And so geographically, does this locate to, like, Indiana or anywhere where they made steel? Actually, one of the stories of where it was made uh, is in England, in Cornwall. Hmm. Yeah. So that's the other, the, the most clear one. 
Um, there actually is an international brotherhood of boilermakers, mm-hmm. as in a union, a union for boilermakers. Mm-hmm. And on their website, they fully admit that they do not know where the drink boilermaker came from, but they have an idea, mm-hmm. and that is that it might relate to Richard. No, clearly, they don't just represent people who make boiler boilers. They make they represent lots of people who make lots of cast steel type things, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, Richard Trevithick, who was a Cornish blacksmith, is also very um, forward. And very important in the steel business in the turn of the century in the 1800s. And also experimented a lot with steam mm-hmm. and powering, you know, very rudimentary locomotives. Getting wrinkles out of his clothes. Exactly. So apparently he had been tinkering around with a, uh, with a steam car, which on mm-hmm. Christmas Day in 1801. Like he, a steam-powered automobile? Yeah. Like a Stanley Steamer type thing? Yeah. He drove it to the local pub mm-hmm. just to see if he could do it with some friends. They got there and they were so happy that they forgot to extinguish the fire in the boiler maker in the car or locomotive, went inside, made merry. When they came back out, the car had burnt and exploded mm-hmm. <laughs> because they left it unattended. And that was before they were drinking. Um, Don't steam and drive. So that's why it's called a boiler maker and helper, one in one, shot in a beer. So that's one idea because he was very important in the English. Yeah, so it's a way to. Uh, to relax after a hard day, because I didn't know that there was an international brotherhood of boilermakers. Well, is it their like? Is it their steelworkers union or something? No, it's the international Just internet. Well, yeah, all unions do that. That's like the, you know, it's like you and I calling this like the international prefer not to. I didn't actually check to see where they were based. I just read international. Um, Sheffield, I'm guessing. So yeah, the Shotland beer is the American way to drink it. In the UK, often uh, a boilermaker is half a pint of uh, draft mild. And then half a pint of brown ale that you sip slowly. So no whiskey in the, the English version? No. Unless you huh. just do a shot beforehand. So with I decided to do a couple of different ways with this. Josh has whiskey mixed into his mm-hmm. beer. How does it taste? Uh, it tastes like someone spilled whiskey in my beer. Yeah. I don't, okay. Uh, you know. And I was going to attempt to do... It's not very good, but you know this is not good beer or good whiskey. So. Well, I, why would you waste good what? whiskey or good beer on this? Right. So I was going to attempt to do the uh, plop the shot in the beer. Oh yeah, this is the traditional one where you just dunk the shot glass all the way to the bottom of it and and drink them both at the same time. Right. So I was going to try and do that because that also, as I thought about it and did research, it gave rise to a bunch of other really shitty drinks, including the Irish car bomb, which is a pint of Guinness with Bailey's that you plunk down. That sounds like either like untowardly prideful or unfairly. malicious towards the Irish Republicans. I don't. It's not as something that you... I mean, like, it's something that's really popular in shitty pubs in the America that are doing the fake Irish thing. Yeah. But there's a lot of other cocktails... And cocktails, they use that loosely in the sense that it is a spirit that is being mixed with another spirit <laughs> um, that have been comprised of that, like drop tequila into, you know, beer and stuff like that, and there's a bunch of them. There's one that they actually make on uh, at a bar on downtown on downtown in downtown in our town in our town which is downtown um on franklin street that is a shot of jameson followed by a shot of pickle juice Mm -hmm. and i just thought it was very interesting that maybe this is like the genesis the boilermakers the genesis of beer plus shots i can actually see that one more they're delicious well it's like well it's just it's like people who want really dirty martinis yeah. Because you just want the pickle brine in there. It's delicious. Um, well, it's, I, I probably wouldn't drink it, but, you know. 
So Jameson's is tasty on its own. A lot of those, like that's, we come back to my standard problem with the whiskey cocktails, which is like, if you don't use good whiskey, they taste like shit. But if you use good whiskey, why would you use good whiskey in a cocktail? And not just drink it straight. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, are you about to? I'm gonna recuse myself. I want to get away from the I recording. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to. We can narrate this process. As well, you know. I don't want to be do it right next to the mic in case no, there's. I think they want to hear the plunk. Okay, I'll try. All right. All right. So Kate is uh, taking her uh, tumbler of of beer and her shot of Pabst Blue Ribbon and her shot of incredibly inexpensive whiskey. She's just gonna plunk Speaking it. Speaking of which, did you know that Jack Daniels for like a basic bottle, like not even a fifth, is thirteen fucking dollars? Well, it's decent stuff. It's like Jim Beam. It's about the same price as Jim Beam. No, it's not, because we're drinking. Oh, no, wait, this is Evan Williams. Williams. Never mind. <laughs> All right. Okay, so ready? Dropping the shot glass into the into the tumbler wait, of beer. There's some black stuff in my glass. Because you're gonna dump you're gonna shitty whiskey in it, but you're worried about one little black dot in the I think the it's beer. a coffee ground. Okay. All right, you ready? That's a new cocktail. Ew. All right. What? Again, like it's gonna be worse. All right, are we ready? Right, here we go. Okay. This is for you guys. Oh god. That sounded like we gaffered, we uh, folded that in. We Oh, God. Oh, God, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not a This is fucking terrible. Go all the way. Oh. All the way, sister. This is like a fucking frat party. Yeah, this has, this drink also has the stink of a dare to it. I would rather just do the shot and then drink, sip the beer. Yeah. Oh, God. Remind me to tell, you know, they have contests for Irish car bombs to see how fast you can drink them. Our upstairs neighbor is thumping around, so if we get a lot of thumping on the mic. We actually have an elephant that lives upstairs. It's really awkward. And it smells terrible. Uh, it does. Um, oh, God, I'm only halfway done. <laughs> oh, God. Plus, the wallow out in the parking lot where it just lays there in the mud is really kind of messy. Gores up all the trees when its tusks come in. Just swallow it. How you doing? I'm, I'm going. Ugh. Ugh. Ha. Yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. I'm not going to lie. Hold on. I'm going to sneeze. I don't know how that happened. So, hey, the, so- <laughs> the soccer's over. We got knocked out in the lightning round. Yeah, so that's, sorry, that's the Boilermaker boys uh, boys and girls. <laughs> Looking for stuff to talk about while your face turns blue. It's whiskey-flavored beer. It seems like it would taste so good. No. What about, the- okay, Kate, what about the phrase whiskey-flavored beer sounds like it would taste good? Because I like whiskey and I like beer, so why wouldn't they come? It's like, you know, you think like chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> Or you like men and you like bacon, but you don't want to eat man bacon. Don't I? What if I ate bacon off of a man? Oh wait, we talked about that. Was that last, last time? Week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have, well, we by the way, have ladies. your rates changed? Well, again, I think you cut this out of the show, but I think no, it's still in the show, isn't it? No, you cut this part out of the show oh. where I mentioned that it would depend on what I was eating or uh, what someone else was eating off of me because something like sushi is gonna be a lot cleaner than like barbecue chicken. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's something to talk about. Yeah, I think sticky foods are the kind of things that's for an intimate partner. Anything barbecue sauce, chocolate, uh, mayonnaise, mayonnaise. Ew. Well, whatever, man. You know, somebody's kink for mayonnaise. I guarantee you. You know, we did our first show and we got a contact from that the guy who was a feeder. Oh yeah. I remember when we were talking about the people who got erotically aroused by shoving food in the gullet of the person that they're sexually attracted to. Guarantee you there's someone out there who's... There's got to be a word. There's got to be like a, a colloquial term 
for people who are erotically aroused by mayonnaise. That's probably some kind of pun. Yeah, it's probably like, you know, oh, he's a Hellman. He's a Duke? Hellman Duke? Hellman's Duke Disorder. Yeah, I don't know. Those are, those are pretty much your two big brands, aren't they? Irish car bombs are much tastier than this because it's Bailey's, so it's... Irish cars and bombs are more tasty than this. Probably. All right. Wow. Yep. I just, I thought, you know, beer cocktail, it seemed like something we've never done before. You seem very defensive. Is that a side effect of the boiler bag? It will be in about two minutes. Well, no. About two minutes, we're going to have to pause the tape. There you go. That's the sound of the empty shot glass and the empty tumbler. All right. For you, America. For for those 11 people who accidentally listened to this show. Exactly. All you... <laughs> Are all you Bartleby's out there, we salute you. <laughs> Excuse me, Scribners. Isn't that what we decided? We decided on Scribners. But hey, if you do actually not accidentally listen to the show, but do it on purpose, shoot us a letter and tell us why, because, you know, we're just like shooting in the dark here at this point. Yeah. And tell a friend. If we had friends, we'd tell them. You are our friends. All right. You want to talk about the movie? So, Kate, what did we watch this week? Uh, let's see if I can get it right this time. We watched, it's not The Concord. It's I think Concord. it actually is the Concord. Okay, so uh, Concord or the Concord. Dot dot dot. Airport seventy nine. That is correct. This is the first sequel that we've done, right? No, because we did the Twilight. We did like the third movie in the right. Twilight no, I meant series. a sequel to something we already watched oh, on the show. Right. No, although I think we ought to get like Crocodile Dundee two or oh, three. Apparently they're going to make a fourth one. No, they're Do not. I think I heard that somewhere. No, they're not. I think I may have made that up. <laughs> In your brain. Um, so this is the first sequel that we've done to another movie on the show because we did Airport uh, 75, right? Yeah, 77. 77. So, God, there's so fucking many of them. It's hard to keep up with it. What I did want to say is that actually several characters make reference to the Boilermaker in Airport 1975. And that is also... 77. 75 in airport you seen airport 75 i'm saying but one of my research oh, yeah. says that and then walter Matthau actually orders them in bad news bears oh yeah that's he's but th- that is meant to show that he is a desperate alcoholic right but i'm just saying that is somewhere that he's it looking has for the most efficient way to consume alcohol well it, it, really is an is effic- it, is. it is an efficient way i can tell you right now yeah. so uh the airport the concord uh is about yeah, the it is, flight in fact, the concord the concord airport 79 all right and like Kate said, this is a sequel. It is the final sequel in the airport series of movies, uh, inspired by the book by Arthur Haley. Ever, ever less connected to the initial movie, although none of them is terribly great. This one, of course, features. And I was uh, surprised to realize that Kate, you have no sort of personal memory of the Concorde as Mm-mm. a jet. To begin with, which led me to have to explain it to I'm you, not, which I think I will probably have to explain to listeners also. I'm not going to lie. When you said Concord, I guess in my brain, I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like Concourse and thought of like. That, that is where in the airport the movie is going to take place. <laughs> exactly. I thought right. it was like it was going to get <laughs> sealed off by a flaming jet. Airport 78 baggage claim. And they're, they're going to have to just eat <laughs> leftover Cinnabon for the whole movie. Exactly. You know. Airport, airport 76 Sparrow. <laughs> And so um, that's what I thought it was going to be about. I don't know why. Or I thought that there would be like a heist or something. So it's kind of half right because there are some um, secretive. No, but there's some secretive uh, uh, ne'er-do-welling going on here. So the Concord, for those of you who are wonderfully 
uh, young enough to not have any sort of personal memory of this was the first supersonic transport, I believe first. In, it was certainly the first prominent commercial, supersonic probably. commercial transport yeah. uh, plane that ran between, uh, I believe, New York and Paris and New York and London on two different routes. Um, it was sort of a, I believe it was a joint operation between Air France and British Airways. I could be wrong on that, too. Uh, but essentially, the gimmick was that it would get you from New York to Europe or vice versa in about three and a half hours. Sweet. So in theory, you would land at a time before you took off. Oh, that's cool. Because of the turning of the earth. It has a really dinky looking like downward facing nose. Right. And the... So was it its own company? Like, would you fly Concorde? No, or you'd would you fly... just take a Concorde? It would be the British Airways, I believe, Concorde. It was, a, like I said, it was a joint a joint venture. And it right. was sort of spectacularly expensive. It cost somebody like several thousand dollars to fly. But you know, it's very inefficient. It uses a ton of fuel. Uh, there's no... I mean, if there were a commercially justifiable reason... For supersonic planes to carry people back and forth between North, between New York and Europe, it would have happened a long time ago. I mean, we've been flying supersonically since you know Chuck Yeager. Right. Yeah, but um, this is recreational, so it's right. kind of so it started in the late seventies, mid seventies, and it was. Um, it reminds me of trips to space, like the commercial trips to space that they sell people. Yeah, I think, uh, but they, those people are sort of upfront about it being kind of a vanity thing but yes it's very similar because those are going to be what like a hundred thousand dollars or something to go up in space this was the same thing it was several thousand dollars to just say i flew on the concord so my question to josh when we first started watching this is why it would they would make a disaster movie about something that was supposed to be commercially profitable so in that way the movie was kind of i don't want to say like it it foresaw its own doom but it was kind of well except that the the movie is very carefully structured to make the plane the hero of all of true, the events. True, true. So, uh, <laughs> unlike in previous airport movies, the plane does not fail. Yeah. At any, except by, by way of sabotage at one point. The plane also performs in the course of the movie things that I am somewhat skeptical of. That would actually Its occur. ability to perform. Yeah, against the laws of physics. Right. So, so anyhow, that's yeah. what the Concorde is. It was a supersonic transport that took people between uh, North America and Europe. Do you want to start in on the plot? Sure. So the movie opens, and there is a very historical, highly publicized uh, flight that's going to take place on a Concorde from Washington, D.C. to Paris, and then from Paris to Moscow. This in is, by anticipation the way, right, of, of the 1979 Olympics. 80. 80 <laughs> Olympics. Whatever. Russia. Um so um, the the flight itself is carrying a lot of prestigious people. It's carrying like um, a bunch of the Russian Olympic team, including a world famous gymnast. It's carrying some reporters, including someone who's on like the nightly. I could, I never figured out if she was a local newscaster or if she well, was. We have to set this up. The plane doesn't take off for a good forty five minutes. Okay. Movie. All right. So uh, it starts off. We're introduced to a bunch of characters, <laughs> right. a, a bunch of yeah. characters, um, who are all somehow going to end up or are directly involved with this flight. We've got the gymnast, who's Russian, uh, her American reporter, Bo, played by John Davidson. Who likes to go down on her underwater. Apparently, yeah. In a, yeah. <laughs> All right, a, sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've um, got... Uh, the reporter. We've got French uh, heartthrob Alain Delon, who who's is the one pilot. of the pilots. Uh, his girlfriend, who is a stewardess, played by Emmanuel's uh, Sylvia Christel. And we have uh, we have a nightly news anchor 
reporter right. who, who is the most important person in the world it turns out and we have uh her boyfriend robert wagner who is a executive at harrison industries an which is arms company right and uh he isn't actually on the plane when it takes off but he's no. still important uh we have good old airport standby george kennedy right. playing Who's the pilot in all the movies we have david warner looking foxy as, as a, a random co-pilot. guy in the background right. <laughs> we've got uh eddie arnold as the owner of the airline. Yeah. And we've got, we've uh, got... Jimmy JJ Kid Dynamite Walker as someone, uh, as a saxophone playing. Jive talking pro- saxophone. Profe- professional marijuana smoker. Yeah. So there's a lot of people on this. Mar- Martha plane. Ray. Who, oh, yeah, Martha who, Ray. Who uh, uh, goes to the bathroom. Who has a lot. a lot of stomach issues related to the plane, which we can all relate to because planes are evil. Right. So it starts out, we start seeing uh, this news broadcast about this historic flight. That Kate mentioned, and then there's a news broadcast in completely unrelated news of Harrison Industries testing out a new drone missile that it will use to attack a Soviet flight, uh, Soviet fighter jets. Yeah, and there's a like a press release showing it blow the drone blowing up like right. a an enemy bogey in really menacing black and red missiles. So uh, the night, yeah. So the night, so the, and then we meet John Davidson and the Russian gymnast, uh, on which he pervs on him in the in the in the hot tub she's in a hot tub and he comes in and is like hello mrs petroishka or whatever her name is would you like to do an interview and it's like wacka wacka she pulls him into the water right and then he comes up and they start making out and they're like oh it's nice for you to do another interview that's not a russian accent i have to say that i had never in all the time that i watched that's incredible uh have uh had never noticed john davidson's penis the way that i did (laughs) He's wearing some very special pants. It's like a Ron Burgundy moment in Anchorman where he all of a sudden has an erection. It's more of like a labyrinth moment, really. (laughs) Did it awaken your sexuality as a young girl, Josh? (laughs) I mean, if I was a young girl, maybe. So So then then we cut to George Kennedy going to inspect the airplane. mm -hmm, With a, a... Alonzo de... Alain Delon. Alain Delon. Right. And they um, uh, they talk about how much they love flying, and he's back, because, like, in Airport 70... Well, first he goes to the airport and looks at He's, like, walks around it for a good, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. And, like, talks to himself, like, she's a magnificent creature. And everything he says sounds like, she's a magnificent creature. It's a shame we're going to have to put her down. Because <laughs> <laughs> so apparently then, he's back to flying. Because right. at Airport 77, when we watched it, he, he, was, was, he was just a consultant. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, yeah, George Kennedy's character is pretty much the uh, well, we'll get Jessica there. Fletcher of Airplane. Jesus Christ. <laughs> all right. So they uh, all these characters, their plots are revolving around the fact that they are going to be on this plane. Like yeah. the stewardess and the pilot, played by sexy Frenchman. Uh, they, she's all like, I'll never fall in love with you again. You say you don't love me. And then they kiss. That's and they your have impression sex. of Emmanuel. Yeah. Okay. And another thing that's interesting about that particular scene is that two French actors are talking to each to other. To one another. Playing in a lovers. Cockpit in English. No, in, in a hotel. Oh, right. Yeah. And, they they're, and, they're, and they're speaking in English instead of French. Like, you know, you mean so much to me. And then, like, you know, she's like, but you don't love me and I will not fall for that again. And, like, all that shit. But they're not actually speaking in French, which yeah, makes no sense. No sense to it. And so all the characters are revolved around this plane. plane's going to take off and the next neither morning. of them has a terribly great... Uh, Sylvia Christelle has a pretty good English accent. Alain is uh, not the best English speaker. Oh, she's... You know. I saw um, enough Emmanuel on Cinemax when I was 15. He, to me, is right up there with that guy who played Odysseus in the made-for-TV movie of The Odyssey that was in uh, Private Benjamin. 
You mean Armand Asante? <laughs> yes. All right. So um, something important that happens before though the reporter of the nightly news thing. Right, this is yeah. Then, then the chick, not the dude. So yeah. Then we go over to her house. She uh, gets a knock on the door late at night, and she opens it up, and there is a bald guy who's like, hey, do you remember me from the whatever? And, of course, she lets him in. She's like, hey, what's up? And he's like, I have proof and documents that uh, Robert Wagner has been selling. Well, not Robert, just Harrison Industries. Harrison Industries has been selling... Illegal arms, illegal arms to, like to people Uganda in South and, and like South America and poor countries, and she's like, "What? He's my boyfriend. He can't have done that." Basically, and he's like, "Here, you have to. You, I need you to know. My wife is going to bring you documents tomorrow at the airport before you get on the plane. I need you to leak it to the press." And she's like, "What?" Right then, he gets shot by a nameless assassin. Yeah. She comes and shoots him in the head. She freaks out and runs upstairs. The assassin gives chase. She hides on top of the greenhouse instead of leaving the building. And then she shouts and someone finds her. The assassin gets spooked and leaves. So there's something going on between, you know, the knowledge of this arms deal and Harris Industries. And let me ask you, Kate, and this is just between you and me. Yeah. So if you knew that an incredibly powerful arms smuggling syndicate Mm -hmm. was out to take your life, Mm -hmm. okay, and you knew that they had just tested a highly successful... Drone. Unmanned drone uh, missile attack that can take out a supersonic plane in flight. If you knew these two things, mm-hmm. what would your next step? Next step. First, I would walk around D.C. with my boyfriend Robert right. Wagner and talk about how scared I was, and then make out with him and tell him everything right, that your I boyfriend know. Who you know that works for this company is like the president or something. Right. And we'd make out a little bit, and I'd say, hey, sorry, I'll see you in Paris later. We'd go see the Lincoln Monument. Yeah. And then I would, you know, go home and pack for my trip on the Concord. I'd make sure sure that he promised me that he wasn't evil. Yeah, exactly. It was Mm -hmm. a very Godfather moment, like, promise me, Michael, promise me. And, you know. Right. Yeah. So it turns out Robert Wagner actually does know. Well, he blames it on on jealous competitors. Big business is like that kid's game, you know, king of the mountain. Somebody always wants to knock you on your ass. She believes him. Everyone arrives at the airport the next day. It turns out that Robert Wagner knows what's going on. And so they are going to attempt to drone up the airplane, killing everyone on board. Yeah, we'll get get to that, right? Well, first of all, he tries to... um, he tries to make sure that she doesn't have these documents yeah. because um, for some reason the guy didn't give her documents because he was going to – as she said, the, the guy's wife was going to meet her for the documents. But So she doesn't have the documents. He takes her to the airport again because she doesn't worry at all that he's – He's Robert uh, Wagner. He is Robert Wagner. Mm. <laughs> so he drops her off at the – At the airport. At and the airport. just as – She's going through the gate – this lady wheels up to her in a wheelchair and says, excuse me, miss, excuse me, here's your dog. You know, hands are these, uh, uh, a very stylish, like, Concord Pan Am kind of bag. Right. And then wheels away. And she's like, oh, and she gets on the plane. Robert Wagner sees her get these documents. And then the wheelchair lady rolls up to Robert Wagner and is like, you bastard, you murderer, you killed him, how dare you? And Robert Wagner, instead of, like, doing anything about it, just kind of goes, what, what, me? What? And then, like, goes back to, uh, well, he walks. I'll tell you right. what he does do. So then we're on the airplane and we see her getting her seat and sort of. She gets her seat and opens the bag, the, leafing right. through it. And uh, the airplane starts rolling away from the terminal. And Robert Wagner is just walking down the terminal. Down this, like, just doing down. this incredibly menacing, very slow walk. And the music is going, Donna. You know, like. Donna. Right. 
<laughs> As she reads it, but he's just sort of menacing for so a good time. She figures it out. Um, let's see. Everyone else is on the plane. There's a kind of a small bit about how the Russian gymnast's nanny or caretaker right. or someone played by Mercedes McCambridge does not want them to be to get, wants her to be together with the male right. reporter. Um, so then we go to the cockpit, and George Kennedy is giving us a little bit about uh, the history of his life. It turns out that his wife is dead, and that he's been playing the field. And this begins the first of. What? Many a very million, uncomfortable moments. A million, two million off-color comments that George Kennedy makes about either his genitalia or women's bodies during the course of the movie. Yeah, In this case, so he, he says to uh, Emmanuel. Emmanuel that, hey, you know, they don't call it the cockpit for nothing. And it's weird because he's such a grandfather type, not at all. Like, he just comes off as a dirty old man. Probably, I think he's a dirty old man. And another thing about this movie is a good portion of the action doesn't actually make that much sense, nor does it have any bearing on the actual plot. So uh, there's a bunch of people talking on the airplane, like Jimmy Walker smokes a doobie. I think a lot of that is just because it's trying to hew to the formula of the previous airport movies, where it's like, we've got to have a lot of... You know, B and C list stars. They've yeah. all got to have like an crazy, arc. You know. right? And like Jimmy Walker's arc is that he has this jazz singer that he's with, and she's worried about about her career. But that doesn't actually go anywhere, right? No, he just smokes a lot of pot in the he bathroom. Just, like he goes to the seriously, he goes to the bathroom like what three, four times. Yeah, and every time the joke is just it's Jimmy Walker. He's smoking pot in uh-huh. the bathroom. He's on a different plane of existence. Wacka wacka. So basically, as they take off, they start flying, and then we are treated to a shot of David Wagner, who's supposed to... David Wagner. Robert Wagner. Who's supposed to meet... You still can't stop thinking about David Warner, even when you're talking about Robert Wagner. <laughs> I can't. Damn. I mean, he's... he's... Oh, right, and there's Cecily Tyson, who has to go see her sick kid in France. Yeah, because there has have, to like, be a sick kid. A kidney or some shit. Yeah, no, they have a heart that they're transporting, which is why she's on the Concorde, because it's the fastest way that it can get to see her son in France. Anyway, plane takes off. Anyway, plane takes off. Robert Wagner. Mm, David Warner. Robert Wagner uh, is going to meet... Homegirl later in Paris, so he's on a later flight. You know what? He has no intention of doing that because exactly. he's actually going to fire off a drone. So they do, and it chases the the Concorde. Right. The 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 the, the, the con- and this is where we sort of branch off into alternate physics universe, I guess. So a commercial jet plane mm-hmm. goes head to head with a drone, like a missile. Yeah, like a missile. And like does barrel rolls yeah, and starts like off doing a barrel spins roll. and right. like they like uh, they uh, they they well, it's just on, yeah they do a barrel roll and they lose uh, they lose it for a little bit and then there's some fighter planes that come to shoot down the drone and they do and that's so that's the first thing that they shoot, they shoot the fighter planes shoot down the first drone uh, and the passengers are all like yay George Kennedy. And then George Kennedy's like, oh, we're sorry, everybody. Don't never mind that barrel roll that we just did. Never mind the right. the military. They they say that, like there's that, an like, accidental you're... military test that went wrong. Like I feel like you <laughs> right. would still land in that case. Right. Like... Exactly. right. We've just been accidentally, although not accidentally, targeted by what essentially is a missile and had to do these stupendous aeronautic maneuvers in which, you know, anyone who is anyone in anything that was not tied down in the cabin of this craft would have banged all over yeah you just have to imagine there's like a shit ton and, of like just shattered and like coffee blood. exactly 
I mean, people would have been tossed. I mean, it would be, you know, it's like shaking up a coffee can. But he walks back. He's like, we're real sorry about that barrel roll. We're going to get the drinks and the food rolling. Start your in-flight in flight move motion picture soon. We're real sorry about that. And the cra- the, all the passengers just applaud yeah. him because... So they do, and then is the and then is there anything else that happens before they land in Paris? Because like there was like five they, million. Uh, no, 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 because there's another one. Uh, then uh, oh, they haven't landed yet. Okay, okay. so all right, I'm gonna let you no, take no, no, over for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they, they. So Robert Wagner is frustrated, and he talks on the phone with the uh, Harrison Industries executive in France, and we know that he's in France. How, Kate? Because <laughs> he's in front of the Arc de Triomphe. Right, there's an Arc de Triomphe right outside of his, his window. office. Yeah. Right. As you can see, I am clearly in the France. <laughs> <laughs> so, and not on the soundstage, as you say in your stupid English. Right, right. My French accent. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I will give you this. It does not sound like Paul Lind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so now we're in a sort of race against the clock because when, she, when the reporter gets on the ground, and remember all of this is to kill the reporter who has these documents. When the reporter gets on the ground in Paris, Robert Wagner assumes that she's going to go to the, the, the media and blow the whistle on her. So Robert Wagner is now again in a race against the clock to either get to Paris first or to get that plane out of the sky. So instead of, you know, like taking her out on a date and, you know, like stealing it from her in the hotel after they've had sex right. while she's asleep, his life as a criminal. you know what I mean? Like, it, of course, his mind goes straight to murder. Anyway, so it turns out that Harrison Industries, uh, arm, international arms dealer that they are, has a private air force and launches a couple of fighter jets to take down the Concorde, which is I don't know how these planes. It was right. their private planes, right? That they launched? I don't know. It it has to have been. I I think so. It was like their their fighter jets because their fighter pilots were not responding to the air. So the fighter jets then uh, lock on the Concorde and start shooting missiles at the Concorde. Concorde does some more crazy maneuvers, just, you know, swooping around barrel rolls uh, and and turning around. And then uh, they can't shake one of the missiles, Kate. It becomes very serious. Oh, no. And they're gonna have to uh, to get the missile's attention with a decoy of some kind. What? Yeah. Uh, what are they gonna do, Josh? Well, Kate, why don't you tell me what they did? <laughs> now, let me let me so... preface this by saying let me preface this by saying, um, when I was a kid, Kate, mm-hmm. um, this was my dad's first midlife crisis. The right? First of how many? I think he's still in the final one, the terminal one. Oh. Uh, we bought a. 19, blue, metallic blue 1977 Fiat Spider. Nice. Yeah, it was a lovely car. The air conditioning didn't work, however. But it was, you know, it was a convertible. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. when, you had, when you had the top up, uh, it could get pretty stuffy. In yeah. Because it's a very small, small uh, cabin. So yeah. the only way to sort of vent it out was there were these small little triangular uh, vent windows up near the windshield that you would oh, yeah. open up. Yeah, yeah. You know, cars used to have those. That so you'd open up and it would get the air in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think George Kennedy probably had a similar vehicle <laughs> back at home. And, wh- and why do I think that? So um, there's a flare, uh, you know, there's a flare gun. And right, in case the of cockpit, like if they, in case of if emergency, they if, they, if they crash land in the ocean and they need to, you know, shoot off a flare like they did in Airport 77. Um, George Kennedy decides that they need to distract the current missile with like a heat signature. I guess. And so (laughs) 
So in this pressurized supersonic aircraft. supersonic aircraft that's going at 6,000 feet. Oh, no. I mean, we're way the hell up. Oh, we're, we're way the hell up know, there. He opens a window. Opens up a window. Like, just, just like rolling down the car door, you know, to order at McDonald's. Down. Rolls the window down. Shoots, shoots his off arm a flare. out. Sticks a flare out. <laughs> Literally puts his arm outside out of the, of the aircraft. Shoots a flare. Shoots a flare. Okay, I, I got some laughing. I can't. This, this is the most absurd thing I've seen. <laughs> yeah. So he does that. It takes. Well, you know, he may have a spare arm at home. <laughs> so. Um, that's how they get rid of the missile, is they shoot off a flare <laughs> in the air. No, 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 while they're doing that. No, no, no. So first, no, they, um, that doesn't actually get, they get rid of one of them. So yeah, then and there's another one. They try one. to get rid of the second one, and the flare rick, uh, caroms back into the cockpit. Oh, right. And so then there's a and fire in the There's cockpit. a fire in the cockpit. Yeah. With the window down. Yeah. Uh, you're getting all sorts of bugs in there. You can't even, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so, not. So then to get rid of the second missile... They do like a loop de loop. They fly the plane upside down and then way down close to the water. Which is featured by a bunch of all of the people in the cabin going, ah, right. as the camera like. This is after rolls, two barrel rolls. rolls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just, uh, anyhow, so they do a loop de loop. Get rid and, of the missile. Uh, get, get rid of the missile. Meanwhile, Martha Ray in the bathroom is, is wet because she's got the, the, the sink sprayed water all over her and that's yeah. the sum total of the effects of all of these astonishing Special aeronautic effects. maneuvers oh oh okay uh, so they land in paris okay when do they they have to use the nets oh, emergency God. nets because they're going too good, fast it's good, yeah it's a good five six minutes on the uh suspense of whether or not these emergency nets will catch them as they land the last one does and the last one does thank god they land on the ground uh and then alain, alain delon says hey george kennedy now that we're on the ground and have ditched those missiles with amazing supersonic <laughs> aeronautic techniques let's pretend like nothing ever happened by the way i have a hot date for you let's go out together right so they do uh he pairs george kennedy up with a lovely older woman well, played by uh ingmar bergman favorite bb anderson for um, I guess it's just a night in Paris before the the next right. leg is going to take off to so Moscow. There's this interlude where George Kennedy for and, no reason uh, and persona star BB Anderson go on a date and then they have they make sweet sweet love in front of a fireplace it's, under some furs. Wow, yeah, <laughs> and under like satiny furs. You, I'm pretty sure I don't fur. think you're painting enough of a picture, but it's uh, there's a fur on the ground. There's like a bear rug. Oh, they're on a bear rug. And there's satin there's, sheets. Uh, sort of, uh, She's on top. Guilt fireplace mm-hmm. with lots of uh, very boudoir. It's very rococo. Yeah, very uh, rococo. And then satin sheets and BB uh, Anderson and George Kennedy, who is they're a in post. Man. They're <laughs> post coital glow bliss. Uh, talking about how lovely it is and he's he's so happy that he found her blah 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 the same time the blonde reporter the chick reporter has met up with robert Robert wagner who has now tried to kill her at least twice who is on the ground talking to her she confronts him about the documents are you evil robert wagner no baby Oh damn it! I still love you. That's like literally. That's, that's basically. The same. He's, yeah. I can't help loving you. I know you're. He's I like, don't... let me explain, and she's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Why is she going out with this man? I don't know. They all? never explain. First it. of all, I mean, even if she doesn't believe that he has uh, tried to shoot her out of the the the, skies, the, the sky, twice, she still should be reasonably confident that this man is an international arms dealer. You would think. And it's like this one thing that seems completely logical in his line of work to do. Anyway, She says the crazy thing is I still love you. 
So the next morning, um, there's these guys in orange jumpsuits. A long time. Oh no, you missed the guys in the orange jumpsuits messing with the plane. Oh yeah, so some guys in orange jumpsuits go and they fuck with the plane, okay. yeah, and they which, set by the way, it like which a apparently is now scheduled again. Same to plane. Take off Same plane. The next day, after everything that happened, to finish after the having been tried to shot out of the air twice <laughs> from Paris after to having Moscow. done barrel rolls and loop de loops from Paris. There is to no Moscow. need for a structural analysis or to of the change plane. the cr- the crew change or the crew. reroute or no anything. No need for like a security analysis nope. to figure out what happened. Maybe it was somebody on board the plane. No. Nope. No need uh, for counseling. For any of these folks, for the post-traumatic nope. stress of this event, you know, boom, get right back on the plane in the following morning. You know what? People were tough in the 70s. So the techs who are responsible slash for checking out the, the plane. 70s slash 80. Yeah. Load a weird, like, depressurizer thing on the plane. It's a little timer that's going to open up the lo- the luggage compartment on that's the bottom what it was. of the plane. Yeah. So they said that. At the same time, George Kennedy wakes up. He meets up with Alain de Frenchy Sex Sex and uh, <laughs> talks to him. He's like, hey, I really liked that lady that you sent me last night. We had such a wonderful time. I really connected. She was wonderful. And then Frenchy Sex Sex. I'm going to marry her. Yeah. Frenchy Sex Sex says like, oh, well, she should have been for 2,000 francs. And he goes, you hired me a prostitute? And there's kind of this wah, wah But then George moment. Kennedy's like, thanks, man. I love your whore. Yeah, exactly. And like pats her on the back. And then Frenchy Sex Sex is like, I know a, uh, a best friend cousin of mine in Moscow tonight. And they laugh and they walk. Like, I bet you do. So <laughs> back on the plane after this really kind of pointless interlude. A lot of the same people are now getting back on the plane. Yeah, like, well, Cicely. JJ I'm going to say, well, Cicely Tyson got off because we can only hope that maybe her son actually got the heart in time. The gymnast and John Davidson have to get back yeah, on. Yeah, all of the Russian Olympic team are still on because they're Jimmy going Walker to Moscow. Gets back on. And, um, so and the, in one total scene in the movie, Charo. Charo gets on the plane. Shows up Charo and. her Chihuahua. <laughs> who gets quickly sniffed out by. Uh, the sexy French uh, stewardess and gets off. Like literally, it's one scene. Yeah, it's. A, is it just to say that we had Charo in this movie? Yeah. Well, up until this point, I was really disappointed. And I kept saying, "Josh, I was promised Charo. Damn it! And they're halfway to Russia. Where is Charo?" And then we got it for one scene. I guess Paris is kind of halfway. Okay. Well, because it was from DC to Paris and Paris to Moscow. Right. So they take back off from Moscow. And this um, is where Eddie Arnold gets on board, right? He wasn't on the first leg. I think he was. Was he? Well, uh, whatever. Know. Him and his uh, trophy wife, Sybil Danny. Uh, they get on. Uh, the, the plane takes off. Everything's going okay. And then at some point over the Alps, well, so yeah, not too far into the flight. It was time to be like something like 10 minutes after they reach a certain altitude. Yeah. The plane starts splitting apart. Because the, yeah, the luggage compartment opens. There's decompression down there. The luggage plane poops out the luggage. <laughs> and the plane literally starts splitting apart. Uh, like right. in the aisles. Like, the aisles start. <laughs> some, there's like some, some flight attendants who are sitting there with like a transistor radio dancing for some reason. <laughs> oh, and yeah. like they don't notice that the plane ominously is splitting apart beneath their feet. Yeah. So um, as that happens, they all realize that there's something going on that's really Eventually. wrong. Yes. And um, there's a hole that in, in, 
opens up in the plane in a couple of places. Like one woman's shoe is literally sucked off of her foot. Eddie Arnold's ass. Eddie Arnold. The- <laughs> Eddie Arnold gets sucked not out of his seat, but the whole seat with him in it gets sucked into the air hole. Right, and, <laughs> and he's, he just sits he's there just for a while, like, going, like, "Oh no!" Plugging up the bunghole in the plane, <laughs> and so he eventually gets out. The passengers Eddie, by help the way, him plays out. Plays the owner of the airline. I yeah, we so they that. help him out of the hole, and instead of staying with his again, very so we, okay, scared so let's be, wife, let's be very clear right now. Go ahead. So instead of staying with his very scared wife, who just saw her husband almost lose his life, he goes, I'm going to go hang out. And he goes and hangs out in the cockpit with the boys. Right. Okay. Because yeah. he's so much more well, used up there. Not only does he go, like, first of all, not only, not only does he go hang out in the cockpit, he goes and hangs out anywhere instead of being strapped into a seat. Yeah. We have, this is, at with this With the point, plane literally falling at this point, apart. At this point, we have a plane that is head. In the words of one, one character, sudden uh, emergency explosive decompression. <laughs> And is in a nosedive uh, because they, uh, for some reason, have no control of the avionics also. Well, their engines start going out, too. So at this point. But, like, literally, there are still people walking around. Yeah. There's that one guy in, like, the orange tie that's been walking around throughout every single, Right. And Jimmy Jimmy J.J. Kid Dynamite Walker is still walking to the bathroom to fire up a doobie. And Martha Ray is still trying to do whatever, like, wash herself. I thought she got off in Paris. No, she got it back on. She back back on. Oh, okay. So, um, at this point, Fringy Sex Sex uh, goes, look, we're in the Alps. No, no, he says, look, the Alps, dead ahead. In <laughs> points. And he's like, I used to ski at this place when I was a boy. And you know, the Alps, I skied in Alps. <laughs> we can land in the ski field. We can land on Alps. So they radioed the Swiss the Swiss emergency mountain force it's or whatever. It's the ski patrol. It's, a, it's not even that. It's the, the clear. ski patrol played by Ed Begley Jr., <laughs> For some reason. To clear an emergency runway for the plane. The plane lands. After a long time. After a long time and a lot of decompression. And after John Davidson and the gymnast marry themselves to one another with the tacit approval of uh, Voice of Pazuzu, Mercedes McCambridge. That's who Pazuzu was. Yes. You were telling me it was was the jazz singer and I was very concerned. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Anyway, they land. Snow collapses on top of them. Everyone starts to panic. Well, and then George Kennedy, what? <laughs> George Kennedy has to get up and tell everybody to sit the hell down and shut the no, hell no. up. He has to tell everybody to get out because the plane's gonna explode. Well, no, but first everyone's freaking out, and he goes, "If you want to get out of here, sit down. We got it." And so they're waiting for the the, the Swiss uh, team to dig them out of the snow because apparently a, they're gonna explode. I don't... They're much better than our American Begleys. They get cleaner lines. <laughs> They're uh, they're in metric. Yeah, the Euro Begleys are all in metric. They're a lot more environmentally conscious than our Begley. I don't even think that's possible. <laughs> so they finally dig down. Everyone starts evacuating the plane. George Kennedy's the last person to leave. They get everyone out, and just in time before the plane explodes under a shit ton of snow, and then everybody gets out. Everyone so gets out immediately. They cut to the girl. Doing uh, a local news broadcast, yeah, uh, uh, broadcasting the the whole thing and like this Harrison is what's happening. This company's evil. We cut to Robert Wagner, who ominously puts a gun to his head as the camera pulls away, and then you hear the effect of the shot. And, and that's we're done. that's the end, and right? That's, yeah, that's the, the end with end. Robert Wagner killing himself. <laughs> that's the end, and that's Airport Seventy Nine. Yeah, wow, what a bad movie. Okay, so Kate. Hmm. If Airport 79 were a cocktail, mm-hmm. what cocktail would it be? So, you and I may actually agree on this one. 
Oh really? Yeah, okay, it's so I'm gonna go a little. I'm gonna go a little like throwback to prefer not to here, and say that um, I was thinking that it is a kind of sleazy, overdone production from the late '70s. So it, it reminds me of like if you're in a bar and you're trying to have a drink, trying to enjoy yourself, watch mm-hmm. a movie, you know, if you were, or to just have a drink. And a guy came up to you and just kept like hitting you with like all of these cliches of like trying to pick you up. Right. You know, I have no idea what this is like. So, I'm, But, you know, I've and like, you know, like, baby, what's your life. sign? You know, do you come here often? Let me buy you a drink. The lady will have a sex on the beach. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of a sex on the beach. Right? We have a similar idea, though. But here's here's mine is yeah. that uh, I went also with the sort of because this is the last movie in the series mm-hmm. of of increasingly poor movies. Uh, this drink is like that third of a bottle of 10 to 12 to 15 month old driver mooth oh, that is sitting Christ. at the back of the bar oh god but that is the only thing left in the house to drink after you've drunk all of the other drinks right and you're like snowed in so you have no choice right so it, all the other drinks were the other airport movies and this is uh that third of a bottle of vermouth at the back of the bar yeah that's good See, I yeah. just imagine like this guy relentlessly hitting on someone in a bar, being like, "Hey, hey, you want to see this movie?" It insists upon it. Hey, 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 yo, I have a scotch and soda. The lady will have a sex on the beach, and you're like, "No, I don't want that. Leave me alone." Okay. You know? So the Boilermaker, Kate. Mm-hmm. If it were a major motion picture or indie motion picture, what 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 would it be? I was gonna say it's a movie that like tries too hard. It's like supposed to. It's trying to be gritty. It's trying to be like you know blue collar, but it almost tries so hard, um, and it's too obvious. So I was gonna say Cinderella Man, starring Paul Giamatti and interesting choice, uh, Russell Crowe, like something that is like, hey, I'm Oscar bait. I need an Oscar. Hey, hey. We have a similar sensibility on this one too. Um, I was thinking I needed something that took several things that worked on their own mm-hmm. that were really good. Uh, and then put them together into something that just became dreadful mm-hmm. and that made you think worse about the other things on their own. And what I came up with was uh, the movie adaptation of The Bonfire of the Vanities, oh. uh, which is one of my favorite novels. Really? By, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Uh, directed by a, a, movie, a director whose work I love, Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. with a really great cast of actors, and yet who are har- who are horribly miscast. Most Egregiously. most miscast of which is Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks as the lead, um, who make just a really bad movie from yeah. a lot of good elements. Oh, and by the way, if you want to know about the making of Bumper the Vanities, there's a book about it called The Devil's Candy uh, that sort of chronicles the making of that particular disaster. Hmm. Uh, and that's really interesting. So that's if it were a movie, I would say uh, the movie had an adaptation of Bonfire of the Vanities. What's that movie with uh, Bane and Nick Nolte and oh, I like the that other one. Guy? Uh, Warrior. Warrior. This also kind of reminded me of just because it's like tough. Yeah, tough. I, yeah, and, but like, that movie was good. Collar. It was good, but you still kind of felt Tom uncomfortable Honey and, uh, while you're and watching Nick it. Nolte and who was the third guy? Ooh, I don't. Was know. it Christian Bale? I think no, it, was Christian... it wasn't Christian. You're thinking of the I'm fighter. Thinking of fighter, but I'm thinking there was something. The you fighter said... was also good. Um, God, who was the other guy? Was it uh, the Avatar guy? Avatar? No. Yeah, Sam it somebody burly. Okay. Well, anyway, that that's what I thought of. I like that. I think that's giving the Boilermaker too much credit. All right. So, as always. 
We'd love to hear from you. Send us a letter at pntcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at, at pntcast. On Tumblr. Joel Edgerton. Yeah. He's, um, he's, um, he's, he, he, that's the face that I was thinking of. Um, he's in, uh, God, I'm trying to remember what we know him from. He's like a big, anyhow. He was in, uh, he was Uncle Owen, for one thing, in the prequels. Oh, he was. But he was, um, he was in a lot of things, but he was really good in that. Oh, he in was in The Warrior. Great Gatsby. Yeah, he was Tom. Uh, yeah. In, uh, he was Tom Buchanan uh, in, in uh, Great Gatsby. Um, but he was in something else. But yeah, he's a good actor. Anyhow, so on Tumblr, we are PNTCast at Tumblr.com. What, what did you make a face for? He was in the 2011 remake of The Thing. Uh, okay. Yep. Okay. Also, he looks a little like Tom Hardy, which I think is why they cast him, because they're, they're, they're brothers, brothers right? in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they both look like... Nick Nolte, as I was uh, say. Speaking of people guarding the fridge. Right. Wait, were we speaking about people guarding the fridge? Nick Nolte. Yeah, I know. He keeps, but he's your cheese guardian. Yeah, but you can't say speaking of blank unless you were previously speaking of blank. Speaking of Sado Mac... <laughs> no, I'm just... So on Tumblr, we're PNTcast at Tumblr.com. You can search for us on the Facebook for prefer not to. Hey, uh, you know, Facebook. Speaking of donkey porn. <laughs> what? I was just bringing up that. I think you the... can put donkey porn on Facebook. Because no, I've looked. You can get I think mu- you can. You but can it... get mule porn, but we all know that that's just like a I think you can get donkey porn, but they'll take it down really soon after the page was posted. Yeah, I think about Facebook. Uh, humanity. Mm-hmm. Like as you know, Facebook has been around for what, like eight, nine years now. I think longer than that. Whatever, long enough for them to make that movie. It's this to, for them to sorkin it up. They sorkined it. Mm-hmm. Uh, stop adding friends on Facebook. Like all the people that you actually want. No, seriously. Like I think as a culture, if we just say like we're done adding people, because all the people that you actually want to know the minutia of your daily lives and or the crackpot political opinions that you have. (laughs) Like, you've already added them to that list. Everybody else you're just adding, like, because you feel obliged to, because you, like, started work for them with them. So I think if we just decide as a culture we're going to stop adding people. Well, what if you actually legitimately meet somebody new? Like, a friend of a friend, you know, that... You know, you get the frisson of trying to figure out a way to communicate with them that is not through uh, shit you linked from Upworthy. Frisson? Frisson. What does that mean? It's a great word. It's like my favorite word. It's like the shiver of excitement. Are you sure it's not the French word for waterfall? It is indeed the French word for waterfall. Okay. Uh, Just want to make sure, because I thought I'd heard it used in that way before. Anywho. No letter this week. No recommendation this week. What are we going to drink next week? Oh, Christ. I don't know. Um... You know, I've been saying the Gin Ricky for a while. You but have. Then, that's like, a, but that's then like I our almost, Duke Nukem forever drink. Yeah, but then I get like a last minute burst of inspiration on like a, a Friday or a Saturday. Maybe we'll have uh, maybe we'll have monkey glands next week because I mentioned them last you week. You said that too, though. Yeah. I have a couple I want to try, but I want to get like a, a steady amount of, uh, you know, money in the bank before we start delving into anything that's too crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, aviation, maybe. Oh, hey, we're also on iTunes and uh, Stitcher. Oh, hey, Kitchen Nightmares was back. We watched that. That was new. Yeah. Mm, Gordon.
Yeah. That was not pretty. It was kind of an off episode. I don't remember anything about it that was good. Uh, I remember Gordon Ramsay being sexy, but that's just me. So I decided I, uh, on uh, this, his withered skull face. So I decided if like I owned a restaurant. Yeah. And I was on Kitchen Nightmares. So you know how like on Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah. It's pretty. Uh, the show has a pretty strict structure. It, it sticks to yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, he'll show up. He'll eat the food. He'll terrible. hate the food. Yeah. You know, there'll be some sort of conflict among the staff. He'll shut it down. And then, it's, right, though, he'll bring the, bring the community in and then shut it down for some reason. And then at some point, he'll go back and look in the freezer. Right? Mm-hmm. And he's always going to find something in the freezer. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, it's spoiled or something. What is that? What is that? These onions are brown. Veal should not be this big. You pink. have stored veal next to beef. How dare you? Right. So if they were, it's like, knowing that he would do that, if I owned a restaurant... And you knew I, that he was coming. Right. I would kill, like, a lion and put it in the freezer <laughs> or something. Like, just something that would, like, make him freak out. <laughs> there, is, there is an anteater in your freezer. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense because, you know, there's a thing. There's a, a re- reoccurring theme on Kitchen Nightmares, and I love Kitchen Nightmares, but I make no apologies for it, that... The owners act like they did know Gordon Ramsay was coming. Like, they didn't know that the camera crew arrived right. and filmed everything. You have a lost casting by Auguste Rodin in your, <laughs> in your freezer. Well, I didn't know that was there. Ooh. I don't know. It's the, it's the chef's responsibility. <laughs> there is a lost Stradivarius violin in your freezer. Have you Next lost? to the raw onions. You can't right? <laughs> How dare you? You cannot store tuna next to Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) (laughs) You have both the Holy Grail and a fragment of the True Cross next to some moldy risotto. What the hell is wrong with you? Have you lost your passion for either the True Cross or risotto? Damn you! Uh, so what are we going to watch next week? I don't even remember. We have we have a couple things that we might watch. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot. We might watch Beyond the Poseidon Adventure since we watched. Uh, since we're we're on we're week. we're definitely on a, a disaster porn kick. That's true. Hey, if you guys have suggestions about what we should watch, seriously, or what uh, we should drink, or what we should drink, uh, again, pntcast at gmail.com. We'd really yep. love to hear from you. Yeah. So always, Kate. I enjoyed spending about an hour with you and. I love that you guys tune in and listen and uh, hope that you... All 11 of you, we cherish you. And hope that you do so again next week. Again, really liked it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 